Our scripture passage this evening is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. I know that it's been some time since we've talked about the canons of Dort. Uh, part of this reason is just for practicality, for my sake. Um, I have to preach this sermon for class this Tuesday, and I thought, what better crowd to practice it on than you lovely people. So, um, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, but um, I'm going to start the reading in chapter 2, verse 13, so that we have some context, and I'm going to go all the way to 3, verse 7. Here now read the reading of God's holy word. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that, if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. As for the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Will you pray with me? Father, may you bless the teaching and the preaching of your word in this moment. May you give me the words to say, 
that may lift up and encourage your people. That you have called us to another way of life. A way of life that boldly reflects and displays Christ to others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, since this is a one-off sermon in First Peter, it might be helpful to give us a little bit of context. We're told that Peter's audience is elect exiles, or as the NIV states it, strangers in the world. And they are scattered throughout in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These are most likely Gentile believers whom Peter describes as having now experienced a variety of trials as they've embraced the Christian faith. And Peter is calling them to understand who they are, that they are now part of Christ's people. They are now part of God's people. They are a chosen priesthood, a holy nation. And because of this, their citizenship, it goes beyond their Greco-Roman identity. Their citizenship, as Paul says in Philippians, is in heaven. It's kept there for them, Peter says. You have been born again by an imperishable seed, and that cannot be taken from you. Therefore, Peter calls them to a life of holiness and godliness. He calls them to a life of faithfulness to the word that had been preached to them, bearing fruit, bearing to the truthfulness of their identity as elect exiles. And it's in the midst of this that Peter then goes into a series of situations or circumstances that are often called a domestic code or a household code. And in Peter's domestic code or household code, which can be found in other biblical writers such as Paul, he talks to everyone and he says, submit yourself to the governing authorities. Then he talks to slaves at that time in the Greco-Roman world. He says, submit yourselves to your masters. Then he talks to wives. He says, submit yourselves to your husbands. And then finally he talks to husbands. Um, but what is unique about Peter's domestic code or his description is that he places more emphasis upon what we would call the weaker person or the person that's in a more vulnerable position. People who live in the midst of a government which sees them and their religion as out of control, something that could destroy society, or in a position of vulnerability. They are at the hands, the mercy of whatever these governing authorities do. Slaves are at the, in the hands of their master. They're in a position of weakness. They have n- no position. They have no way to curry favor. And that's why you know, Peter's admonishing the slaves and he has no words to say to these masters and even says some of these masters may be uh, those who are uh, abusive and then he comes finally to wives and of course this is a heavy topic wives submit to your husbands it's one that's been widely debated it's almost used in our culture today as a very egalitarian, uh, feminist-type culture, as a litmus test for orthodoxy. How do you interpret 1 Peter chapter 3? In fact, many years ago, in 2014, Representative Steve Pierce, who 
won a congregational seat from the state of New Mexico in 2010, wrote his memoir. And in his memoir, he talks about his experience in the Vietnam War, and he says that both the military chain of command and the family unit need a structure in which everyone places, uh, plays his or her role. And in this book, he said that this meant that his wife, Cynthia, would submit to him and he would lead. He stated, the wife is to voluntar- voluntarily submit just as the husband is to lovingly lead and sacrifice. Citing the Bible, of course. He says, the husband's part is to show up during the times of deep stress, take the leadership role, and be accountable for the outcome, blaming no one else. The wife's submission is not a matter of superior versus inferior. Rather, it's self-imposed as a matter of obedience to the Lord and of love for her husband. And he states, the principle is among the most controversial of all directives coming from the Bible. Critics abound, both Christian and non-Christian, and many of my friends dealt with this directive simply by ignoring it. Well, if that ain't a statement more true uh, than others. Of course, he received all kinds of backlash for having this in his memoir. But it, it's nonetheless true. It's controversial, isn't it, to talk about this, the S word, submissive. What exactly does it mean? Well, tonight I hope to show you that really what Peter's getting after here is the nature, the essence of true beauty. And Christian wives. Because what he's talking about is how a Christian wife uniquely reflects Christ in her marriage to her husband. And he really shows this in three ways. First, he talks about a humble submission to the husband. And then secondly, he talks about the hidden person or the person of the heart, right? And then lastly, he points these wives to the holy women of the past as examples over and above modern examples that they would have experienced at that time, all right? So let's look first at this humble submission. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. We need to look at this carefully because we need to understand that in the same way, or maybe some other translations would say likewise, That means that something's come before, and that's the reason why I gave a little bit more context in my reading and talked about where this is coming at in Peter's letter. Particularly, Peter is talking about in what way can wives be submissive in this domestic code, in this household code, in the same way that he talked about us submitting ourselves to governing authorities or slaves submitting to their masters with all respect. He talks about wives submitting to their husbands. That is not to say that the submission of a wife is the same as the submission of a slave to a master because Peter includes directions for husbands that they are held accountable as well to the way that they treat their wives. And just because Peter doesn't mention it, We should not draw conclusions that slave masters or masters are not also held accountable for the way they treat their slaves. This humble submission, though, how exactly is it a reflection of Christ? How is it a unique way that Christ is being reflected in the marriage? Well, I want us to think about Christ's earthly submission to his father. 
that Christ said that it pleased him to do the will of his Father as he walked this earth as the God-man. I want you to think of the Garden of Gethsemane. Christ is praying in the garden, and he's saying, Father, can you make this cup pass from me? He's dripping sweat, bloods of sweat from his brow. He's sweating blood. But then he says, Yet not my will, but yours be done. I want you to think of Christ's humble submission to his heavenly Father as he walked the plan of redemption here on earth. I want you to think of the words from his heavenly Father in Christ's baptism when he said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And I want you to ask me here if wives in the same way be submissive to your husbands is not a reflection of that. That beautiful, submissive character that Christ had toward his heavenly Father. Read Philippians 2 and tell me that there's not something beautiful, appealing about Christ who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, even though he was God, yet humbled himself for the sake of salvation, that he may save us. This humble submission is spoken of here in verses 1 and 2. And really, this humble submission is all of what Peter is describing in verses 1 through 6. But we need to pay attention to maybe the uniqueness of, Christ, uh, of Peter's audience here. He says here, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. And so, what Peter's describing here is really not entirely, but partially an audience of Christian women in the first century who had unbelieving husbands, who had husbands who were not Christians. And this is particularly frightening for women at that time because in the Greco-Roman world, the law of the land was what the father says goes. In fact, the father in Roman law had the right to enact the death penalty on any of his children if he so pleased, and there would be no repercussions for it. And so if a father had a daughter, when she, he handed that daughter off to marriage, he was saying, now my law, my ruling, now goes to this husband. And your husband now is the one in charge. And it was assumed at that time that the wife would follow whatever proclivities of religion this husband had, whatever gods he chose to worship, whatever religion he chose to have. And so then in this situation, if a wife were to say, I belong to Christ, I believe in Christ, apart from her husband, which is something very common that we see today, it would have been seen as undermining the husband's authority. But Peter's saying here, wives, be submissive to your husband in every way. Except if he asked you to deny Christ.
You are to say, I am being submissive to you. I am following your leadership. I am desiring to follow your directive and your leadership in this relationship. But I will not forsake my Lord and Savior. He is above you. He is my true and lasting Lord. And he's, his is the example that I am following. Be submissive even to husbands who do not believe the word. There's an evangelistic intent here. That they may be won over, these unbelieving husbands, without words, by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Think of this as wives in the first century who had unbelieving husbands whom they had shared the gospel with But now the time has come that more than simply the message of the gospel needs to be heard, but what William Barclay calls the beautiful preaching of a wonderful life. The silent preaching of a beautiful life. How about this? I'll use this as an example. We have these things that we say over and over again, right? We have these sayings that we typically cling on to and repeat over and over again. And if you were ever a child, your parents probably had these things as well. These piffy sayings like, a, uh, a job worth doing is, is, is worth doing well. Or something like that, right? And eventually you just tune out because you've heard this so many times that you don't want to hear it anymore. What Peter's saying here is the message of the gospel, wives, you can proclaim, but eventually you have to adorn the gospel with the beauty of your disposition, your attitude, your life. And he particularly mentions the purity and reverence of your lives. And the word reverence here is the word, where we, the word we get phobia from, right? Fear. And what it's talking about here is not fear of the husband. Oh, what's he going to do to me? But if you go back to the reading here, it says that we are to live before God fearfully in the midst of these Gentiles, that they may see the good works that we do and praise our Heavenly Father on the day of visitation. So what Peter's saying here is, fear the Lord. Have a purity of life, wives, so that without saying a word, your husbands would look upon you and say, I don't get you. I don't understand why you're the way that you are. Something has happened in your life. Something's changed. And then boom, there's your opportunity to express the reason for the hope that you have. The reason for the hope that you have. This is a humble submission that reflects Christ-like submission to his heavenly Father as he, go, he went about doing the work of redemption here on earth. But what about this hidden person? This hidden person. In verse 3 it says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing 
of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Now, I know some people go to this verse, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, and say, Makeup is of the devil. Look, women cannot braid their hair, and they better not wear gold jewelry. But if that's going to be your interpretation of this verse, then let me caution you, because if that's what you're saying, then also women aren't allowed to wear clothes. That's what it says. Don't let your your outward adornment be clothes. So that's really not what Peter is saying. He's saying, don't let the emphasis of your adornment, your beauty, true beauty, be braided hair, the wearing of gold jewelry, fine clothes. There's a southern saying that says that the barn needs painting painted. But what Peter's saying is not, don't paint the barn. What he's saying is, make sure you beautify the inside of the barn too. Because he goes on, verse 4, instead it should be that of your inner self or the hidden person, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, I've told you that this is about how a Christian wife uniquely reflects Christ in her marriage. Well, how exactly does this opportunity uniquely reflect Christ? Well, I want to kind of zoom in on these words, gentle and quiet spirit. Uh, It's the word that's often translated meek, meekness. And I want us to think of Jesus Christ who described himself as Come to me, all who are weary, for I am gentle and meek. I want us to think of Jesus Christ, who in his triumphant entry, placed himself on the back of a donkey, and we're told, look at your Savior, your King, lowly and meek, riding on a donkey. So Peter here is not really saying That a gentle and quiet spirit is unique to a Christian woman, but that within the realm or within the, the bounds of a marriage, she has the unique opportunity to display a gentleness and a meekness that Christ reflected in his ministry, in his earthly ministry. What Peter is describing here is a priority shift. He's saying you're not going to win your unbelieving husbands by trying to look really pretty for him. You're going to win your unbelieving husbands. You're going to be submissive to your husbands if your husbands are not unbelieving, which I, by the way, don't think this is exclusive to that for the very reason that he says, if any of them, and for the very reason that he then goes on to give instructions to husbands as well. But you're going to honor your husband. You're going to be submissive to your husband if you show That the true beauty that you have is not your earthly, fading, not going to last forever beauty. But it's the beauty of the hidden person. The inner self. We all have it. And I remember I had a, um, a gym coach, a gym teacher in high school. And I remember one thing that he said when we were all out there on the floor doing push-ups, 
and, and pull-ups and stuff like that. And he would say, integrity is who you are when no one's looking. And that stuck with me. And that's what Peter's talking about here. He's saying, your inner person should correspond to the likeness of Christ and gentleness and in meekness with a gentle and quiet spirit. And these words, oh man, this is so wonderful. This is just so beautiful. Which is of great worth, precious in God's sight. Women, you have that. You have these words that say, of great worth in God's sight before God. The preciousness before God is my inner person. My gentle and quiet spirit is precious before the maker of the universe. And how awesome is that? How beautiful and how wonderful it is that you hear from the scripture that your inner self, a gentle and quiet spirit, is precious in God's sight. And Peter describes this as the unfading. It's actually here, the unfading is actually the same word that he used earlier in, this, in his letter. When he said that you have been born again from and given an inheritance that can never perish, imperishable. That's the word there. It's kept in heaven for you. So this beauty is a never-fading, imperishable beauty, for it is the beauty of the inner person, your true self. It's true beauty that reflects Christ in a unique way in your marriage. Well, that's the hidden person. What about these holy women? So after describing this humble submission and saying that you, Christian wives, should have a priority of adornment, which says the inner person is is highly more valuable and more important before God than the outer adornment. adornment. He talks about these holy women of the past. He says, this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. What Peter's really trying to do here for these elect exiles, these Greek wives is to try to show them that before in your previous life, you had women that you looked up to as sort of models that you would emulate. These high-class Greek women. He's saying, you're not part of that family anymore. You're not part of that tradition and its, and its fading realities. You're part of a heavenly kingdom. You're part of a chosen and royal priesthood. Your citizenship's in heaven. And so therefore, for your models, you should look to redemptive history. You should look to the scriptures. You should look to the holy women of the past and see that they were submissive to their own husbands. He listens as if there is a multiplicity of them, but... The only example he gives is Sarah. And he says here in verse 6, Like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master, you are her daughters. If you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Uh, So 
Uh, another way to translate this would be like Sarah who obeyed Amr Abraham and called him Lord. And that's what the Greek word is. It's kurios. The same word used for uh, Lord Jesus Christ. Kurios. And the only place in the Old Testament translated in Greek where this is stated is Genesis 18. When these three visitors um, who are... Uh, uh, embodiments of God's presence, personifications of God, uh, theophanies of God, come and, and, and uh, Abraham tells his wife, go and, and prepare some food. And they come uh, to say, Abraham, you're going to have a child. And off in the corner to herself, Sarah laughs. And she says, is my Lord really going to have children now that he's so old and I'm so old? Now, if I were writing 1 Peter chapter 3, which would never be the case, I don't know if I would really pick that moment as a representation of Sarah's humble submission to Abraham. I would probably pick um, Genesis 12. And if you remember that story, Abraham says, hey, there's a famine in the land. Let's go down to Egypt. And as they're coming up to Egypt, Abraham starts to fear for his life. And he thinks, my wife is beautiful. And they are going to kill me so they can have my wife. And so he turns to Sarah and he's like, hey, um, uh, uh, why don't we say you're my sister? And she does. And Pharaoh takes Sarah into, her harem, into his harem. And if not for the interposition, if not for the grace of God, that could have gone way wrong. Well, Abraham, not a very good example of being a good husband right there at that moment. Sarah, what a beautiful example of submission even to an idiot husband. But that's not what he chooses. Peter chooses this one moment when an off-the-cuff statement from Sarah, she says, is my Lord really to... And maybe the reason for this is to show that even in Sarah's private, instantaneous moments, she has a disposition towards honoring her husband. And saying my Lord is not like saying I'm your property. It'd be like my Lord or sir or mister. She has a disposition towards honoring her husband that happens even in these off-the-cuff moments and is descriptive of their entire relationship. There is Sarah, holy woman of the past, who is displaying Christ-like character to Abraham, an unworthy and sinful husband. So as to show that true beauty is how a Christian wife can uniquely reflect Christ in her marriage. Well, what, is this, what does this mean for us today? Well, for wives, I do believe that this means that you have a privilege a highly valued privilege to reflect Christ and to display Christ in a unique way to your husbands. That is precious 
in the sight of God. It does not mean that you go with your husband on everything. It does not mean that you agree with your husband on everything. Because Peter, in speaking to the wives in this passage, is saying that wives have independent thinking because some of them had become believers and their husbands had not. And he's saying, most of all, that you cannot submit to your husband in any way that's contrary to Christ. But it is a disposition of honoring your husband's as those who have been given to you and to lead you and to care for you. But what does it mean for husbands? You thought you were going to miss out on this one, huh? So sorry, I'm going to bring a little something to you as well. Well, I think we need to ask ourselves the question that if a lot of our misunderstandings of these passages have come from accepting the definition of weakness that the world has created. That somehow weakness being the weaker vessel, as Peter goes on to say, describing the wives in verse 7, is an inferior position. And that there's no glory or beauty to it. And husbands, maybe we have accepted that reality, that we have accepted that definition of the world. And so what I hope that you've grasped from the message tonight is that your wife has a beautiful and wonderful privilege, unique privilege to reflect Christ to you in your marriage. And I hope that you're noticing it. And honoring her for it. And loving her and noticing it and praising her when she expresses it. Because if you don't do it, the world isn't going to do it. Because this kind of beauty, true beauty, is not the beauty you find on billboards today. It's not the beauty that's going to be plastered all over the magazines next time you're going out the, line, the lane at Jewel Osco. It's a beautiful, hidden, inner, true beauty of reflection of Christ-like character that husbands, you need to notice and you need to praise in your wives. And most of all, what I think is most wonderful about this passage is that it shows us that wives, in the same way as husbands, are to look to Christ as their example in the marriage relationship. Christ, who is described right before this passage with these words, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insult to him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. It's that Christ, the beauty of the true Christ that the wife is displaying in her marriage. And it's that Christ that Peter may even be referring to when he says, wives, in the same way.
in the same way as Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words. Thank you that you have given us instruction. The way we are called to live in this world. That we, as men and women, as husbands and wives, can truly reflect Christ, his kingdom, his beauty in our marriages, in our interactions, in our relationships, so that others may see us and ask what the reason is for the hope that we have, that we may give an answer that it's Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and his coming again. That is our hope. That's in his name we pray. Amen.